Harmless fun? Let's see what happens next. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Thank you, Eric Kramer. <laughs> I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. <laughs> and welcome to our show and all our panelists today. <laughs> good times away. I've been waiting to do this episode for quite some time with our friend Jeffrey Mark, the walking encyclopedia of Hollywood pop culture entertainment history. He is an extraordinary font of very reliable information. When the guys on TV are reporting a story, they verify the story by calling Jeffrey Mark. It's quite a compliment to him and his knowledge. It certainly is. Let us say hello first to our staff announcer. That would be bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. How are you, Benny? With, with that double announcement, I almost had to like stand up and salute. Like, oh, oh right, there we go. Ready for reporting for duty, sir. Well, listen, you're getting a little bit ahead of this whole episode, Benny, because ordinarily when you stand up, it's because you're the actual person they're talking about. Come on, on down. Right? But to tell the truth, <laughs> that up and down faking until the, the right person stands up. One of countless examples, over a thousand, if we really wanted to get into it. Uh, we're going to have fun today. <laughs> game shows, quiz shows of every imaginable stripe. The American TV landscape was changed forever with the dawn of the quiz shows. And this goes back into maybe even the late 40s, but and before that on radio, Jeffrey Mark knows all this. I'm just kind of setting, I'm teeing it I up know, for him. I know. Uh, let me ask Benny. Get, Benny, yes. did you ever watch any game shows when you were and ever? Of course I did. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was kind of on in many households across uh, these great lands. Um, okay. I definitely watched uh, Family Feud with Richard Dawson. There I, was, I was jealous because he was a ladies man. So it like was, you, you gotta was, like yeah. the way he moved it. <laughs> uh, uh, um, what was it? Uh, the Punch Out or Press Your Luck? Press with no, your luck. no okay. whammy, no whammy, big whammy, and stop. Yep, 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 uh, yep, yep, yep. And then I found out it was rigged. That's a whole other story for another day. Oh, is it ever? That's the story I know, right? This hour, my friend. And Fantastic. Right. And Jeopardy. one more? Oh, um. Jeopardy? No, I mean, that was later. That's an easy one. But uh, I'll, I'll go like classic concentrations. Uh, there you go. Okay. That's, okay. One of, that's one of Suzanne's right there. There you go. Wheelhouse. Okay. Outstanding. Right. Thank and you, Benny. We'll Thank never you. cover them all, but we'll get to a lot of them in a very fun way. Why is it fun? Because we're visiting with Jeffrey Mark, the man who's been called a walking encyclopedia of show business history. And it's true. It's true. A singer, stand-up comedian in nightclubs and cabarets and an off-Broadway veteran. Jeffrey has hosted radio series, written comedy, and now writes and produces documentaries and reality shows for cable television. He's got his own uh, broadcast podcast thing going on too so welcome to the family in the in that radio regard jeffrey also he's written three best-selling books devoted to lucille ball ella fitzgerald and ethel merman we are so happy to talk about uh, on this day where we celebrate the fact that america surely loves her game shows jeffrey mark welcome once again to manson mitchell that is the longest introduction I've ever received in my life. 
I had a crew cut when you first started. <laughs> did I mention he's also a comedian? <laughs> yes, I did, as a matter of fact, and there's your proof. We're very happy to have you with us, Jeffrey. This is one of those subjects. It's, it encompasses so much of popular entertainment history and the history of television in a way that millions of, in fact, generations of millions of Americans have found compelling and addictive. That was my experience as a kid. I'd, I'd love, I'd stay home once in a while. I'd get sick there in parochial school. I'd get to stay home and man, I wouldn't miss password for anything. Just as one example, how was your love affair with the game shows developed when you were a kid and watching all of this splayed out all over TV land? It was a love affair, absolutely. Um, growing up in Brooklyn, New York, as a little kid, uh, there were game shows on all day. It started in the morning and it ran into the late afternoon and then they were on at night as well. So hmm. being an only child, you turn on the television set and there it was. But I did have a special connection to one show and I still have it. And I, I may have told the story before on the air. It was to tell the truth. Oh, I, so to let our folks who are listening know what we're talking about, there was a production team, Mark Goodson and Bill Todman. Their specialty was the celebrity panel game show. Gee, Jeffrey, Mark, what's that? Well, let me tell you. Uh, games where usually some sort of guessing game or word game where one or two or three or four well-known people who were kind of smart and kind of funny played the game against some sort of challenges. To Tell the Truth was a game where there were three people who all claimed to be the same person. Only one of them was the real one and sworn to tell the truth. The other two were well-briefed liars. And they got New York, New York people, New York talent to be on the panel through the years. But the queen of To Tell the Truth was Kitty Carlisle Hart. Mm. Uh, mm. Kitty came on, I believe, on the third episode in 1956 and was on a version of To Tell the Truth every decade until the 2000s. She's the only person who has ever done that. Kitty Carlisle wow. was on some kind of To Tell the Truth from 1956 into the 2000s. Mm. Why am I bringing all this up? Well, as you said in your introduction, Another fascination for me is the work of Lucille Ball. Well, the Lucy show was on Monday nights on CBS, preceded by two Goodson Todman game shows, To Tell the Truth and I've Got a Secret. Oh, and yes. We didn't watch television much as a family, but on Monday nights, my mother and father, my grandmother, my grandfather, my great grandmother, and I watched To Tell the Truth, I've Got a Secret, and Lucy. Mm. And my grandmother knew I was going into show business. She knew where I was headed at two. And she would use Kitty Carlisle as a, Kitty Carlisle was a, an operetta singer, a musical comedy singer. She was a film star with Bing Crosby in the 30s. She was married to Moss Hart, who was a major, major playwright and director. And she was the most glamorous, charming, well-bred, well-educated woman. My grandmother thought the world started and stopped on what Kitty Carlisle thought was good. And she used Miss Carlisle. Look, Jeff, look at how she, see that guy, how that guy said that to her and it kind of insulted her. Look how she did this. Look how she did that. 
And my mother would say, mommy, he's two and a half years old. What does he need with Kitty Carlisle? My grandmother said, <laughs> you don't even know what's in your son. These are the people he's going to hang out with. And in those days, the panel was Tom Poston, Peggy Cass, Orson Bean, and Kitty. And my mother and grandmother got into an argument. And my grandmother said, someday he's going to be in Kitty Carlisle's apartment telling her about you and laughing at you. And 42 years later, I was in Kitty Carlisle's apartment. My grandmother had passed. I didn't make it happen. My Ethel Merman book had come out. And I got a phone call. Oh, I can't make it to your show tonight, but could you please come over to my apartment with your wonderful book? I, I don't know, but I didn't open the window of my hotel suite and fly to Mrs. Hart's apartment on Fifth Avenue. And I told her the story. And the reason it's so important to me is that I didn't make it happen. She made it happen. My work in show business made it happen. <clears throat> I'm getting choked up here. And we cried because my grandmother was gone. And this was so important to me. It's like one of the very few things in my career were like, if nothing else had happened, this would be okay for me. And then Tom Poston and I became friends later in life. He gave me comedy tips on how to tell jokes better. So game shows have been very important to me for their entertainment value. But also, I got to know all these people eventually. I got to know Tom Kennedy. And I spoke to Tom Kennedy about three months before he died. Mm. And it's, 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 it's woven into the fiber of Jeffrey Mark, game shows are. So I've told that personal story. Forgive me for taking up so much time. Now let's talk about game shows. And oh, thank that's you a for great that. story, Jeffrey. I love thank that, you Jeff. for thank sharing you, that. Really, you know, yeah. and um, and those are the early years of our baby boomer audience who was also tuning into those same things. Our family watched that on Monday night. We were it, watching those shows. It invites an analogy with a wonderful personal story you shared, Jeffrey. Now I'm wondering, there would there have been some kind of faux rivalry, and there. Hollywood rivalries that are for real. But for example, people would often ask in my generation, okay, who do you want, Ginger or Marianne? Well, Don Wells was one of my closest friends in the world. So my answer was always Marianne. May she rest in peace. And we interviewed her twice on this program. We were honored to do so. But my analogy is now people who were fans of game shows and millions and millions and millions of Americans were and have been. It's a generational thing from one to another. It's fascinating. Were there people who liked Kitty Carlisle more or perhaps they favored Dorothy Kilgallen? There's another name from game show world. Well, the, the two great doms of game show world is Kitty Carlisle Hart and Arlene Francis because they were on them from the very beginning of television until they died. Mm. Uh, And what was funny is that Kitty and Arlene were often mistaken for one another. People thought Mrs. Hart was on. I I call her Mrs. Hart because that's what I called her personally. Kitty Carlisle was uh, on to tell the truth. Arlene Francis was on what's my line. I think also, just a piece of history, when Kitty met her husband, Moss Hart, Arlene Francis was there. She kind of introduced them. So long before the game show connections, these people knew each other in New York. They were part of Broadway and radio and New York society. 
So when they came on these shows, there was always a, already a rapport with them. Uh, but yeah, there, there was not a rivalry, but people mistook one for the other. Dorothy Kilgallen was a, a force of nature all by herself. Again, what's my line? If we're talking about these panel shows and really game shows at all on television, what's my line as the champion? It's, it's the first. It's the first of the really big game shows on television. Dorothy Kilgallen was a masterful, no-holds-barred, get-out-of-my-way newspaper columnist who ended up on this show. And she played this game to win. Uh, the rest of the panelists on that show were not terribly fond of her because if you're sitting in a dressing room and you give her a little piece of gossip or tell her something about your personal life as you're putting on eyeliner, it was in her column the next day without asking your permission. Dorothy was also, and folks listening, I'm not taking sides, I'm just reporting. Dorothy was tremendously right-wing, Republican, anti-communist, very, 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 very Catholic woman who didn't really care for people who weren't just like her. The rest of the panel on that show were liberal, Democrats, and um, it took John Daly, who was the host, to keep everybody from killing each other. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank God that Rudy Valley didn't drop in. That would have been a fair fight <laughs> with the liberals and the conservatives. Sometime have me back. We can do an hour on how awful Rudy Valley was. Yep. I gleaned that from his appearances on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. <laughs> That's our little byway there. Uh, Suzanne wants to jump into this conversation. I will mention one other thing. I saw this on YouTube. People can go and find this. I believe it was What's My Line on which appeared, and this just tells you the timeline of game shows and quiz shows in American pop culture history. A man appeared on, again, oh, yes. I believe it was What's My Line, Yes. who was present in Ford Theater. Oh, oh. And president. I've, got a, I've got a secret. And I've got uh, a secret. That's what it was. And on the panel that week, for the one and only time, was Lucille Ball. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. The, the man was present in Ford Theater when Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, and he, he could was talk about boy. it TV. Oh, my goodness. He was a little boy who had been taken to the Ford Theater to see our American cousin and watched the guy jump off the balcony and break his leg and run away. Um, he, he, he didn't remember it terribly because he was very small. This is, so this is 1956, and uh, he was in his 90s. So he was a terribly small boy. And, he had, and not that our radio audience really cares about this, but he had fallen and hurt himself just before the show started. So he was all bruised and, and uh, not bloodied, but swollen. And he insisted on going on. He, he couldn't hear the panel. His hearing was gone. Gary Moore, the host, had to repeat the questions and kind of prompt him into giving answers. But there is this piece of history there. And it amazes me that, that it's not shown everywhere and often, especially on President's Day. Uh, nobody seems to really care about it. I care a great deal, and I'm glad you guys know about it. And I am too. And is it true that this gentleman appeared on the show and died about a week later? Yes. 
Yeah. For posterity, we have. I, that I thought you yeah. were bringing up there was an there was an episode of What's My Line, where a man just showed up from backstage and interrupted the show, and um, it was a big deal. This is live television, right? And John Daly, uh, they had a code word that there's trouble on stage live, right? He he doesn't. You don't want to panic the audience sitting in the audience. You don't want to panic the folks at home, but he gave the code. They cut off everybody's microphones except John's and Johnny Olson, who was the announcer and some big burly crew guys came and just wrestled this guy off the stage. And the, and this is during Milton Burl was the mystery guest. The, the, what's my line? You guessed people's occupations. And then at the end of the show, they had a big celebrity. You had to guess who the celebrity was. Well, Milton's already on stage. The panelists are blindfolded. So they don't know what the hell is going on. All they know is they were hearing bells and whistles and screaming and yelling and John Daly trying to cover it. They got terribly frightened, but the show went on. They, they wrestled this guy off. John uh, reassured the panel that they were safe and the show just continued. That's what I thought you were bringing up. That's why I said, what's my line to begin with? No, I just had it wrong. This is why we had the expert on the show. And there's so much history there. It's incredible. Suzanne, jump in, please. Uh, what was oh, you know what? I, I made an observation earlier that I just wanted to run by you, Jeffrey. And when Gary and I were talking today about America's love affair with game shows, I said, in a way, Gary, isn't it just like legal gambling? I said, people, you know, taking a chance, you know, you want a car, you know, being able to get the big prize or going home with a year's worth of rice aroni or whatever it might be. <laughs> it, all these game shows are about going in there to try to win big and do it without, you know, working, not going to work. I'm just going to go win money on a game show. And so I, I thought it's, it's kind of interesting that, that, you know, we have this love affair with game shows, most of which do have a payoff to them. What, what do you think about that? That has changed through the years. When game shows were on radio, all of the prizes were small. You won a toaster. You won $25. You won $10 in uh, silver, silver dollar coins. No one was winning big cars and big money. Uh, a, they did not want to spend that kind of money and they did not want to, you know, we, radio was during the depression, during World War II, during Korea. They didn't want to push greed. Yeah. When, when game shows came to television in 19, well, the earliest quiz shows were 1946. They were the simplest little yes or no shows. There's no kinescopes of them there's no we, we hardly know what the shows were and they weren't terribly popular but they were really cheap to put on see that's why game shows proliferated they were very cheap to put on mm, you didn't okay. had one set mm -hmm. you didn't have costume changes people brought wore their own clothing you had to pay a makeup person possibly a hair person but usually the ladies got their own hair done first there was no script there's no, just the cost of putting on these shows was yeah. so small. But originally, on What's My Line, if you won the game, the most you could win was $50. Yeah. 
um, to tell the truth. Yeah. You know, maybe you could win 500 bucks if you really skunked the panel. It didn't get big until they tried one where they, they took an old show, the $64 question, and then did the $64,000 question. And we learned with greed comes power. And with power comes control. These shows went out of control. They were fixed. They were, um, people were given the answers ahead of time to make good television. The America got in an uproar about it. All these shows were canceled. None of them, by the way, by Goodson and Todman. They were legit. And it took a long time for the big money stuff. The biggest money ticket in the 50s that was legitimate was The Price is Right, where four people, see, it's unlike The Price is Right today. It was hosted by Bill Cullen, who was the master of game shows. No one has hosted or appeared on more game shows than Bill Cullen. Number Hmm. two is my friend Wink Martindale. But, But Bill is the champ. And he hosted this show and four people sat at a desk and they were the same four people the whole time. They weren't coming down. They were already there. And they guessed the prices of things, uh, escalating their prices until Bill Cullen said stop. And the one who was closest without going over won the prize. And you could win a dining room set. And then there'd be a bonus of bone china and sterling silver flat where they went with it it was very exciting to watch but it wasn't a gamble the gamble shows didn't come in until the 60s you know all these kinds of things they they evolve over time after a while the goodson tobin panel shows after about 10 or 12 years became old hat they all got canceled and either went into syndication or just went away forever uh, concentration was a wonderful game show the original version was on nbc and it took a skill to remember where everything was there was a rebus that was covered by 30 numbers and behind each number was a prize if you matched two of the prizes the rebus turned around on this mechanical board that went click clock click clock and more of the rebus was revealed. If you could tell the rebus you know, what the rebus said, you won all the prizes you matched. But it was a skill game, not a greed game. The greed games came in eventually, and they come and go because the ones that are still with us, I mean, really with us, Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune, those are still the skill games. Uh, the match game is a panel game. So the panel shows that Goodson and Todman did the games of skill that were created by Merv Griffin, who created Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune and others. Those seem to last. The greed games hit big for a while and they burn out very, very quickly. Thank you for bringing that up, Jeffrey. Suzanne and I, I could still remember we were in a suburb of Chicago staying with Suzanne's family. And man, at that time, deal or no deal was the bomb. In fact, one of the statuesque models carrying the suitcase, and once you were assigned that number, that was your number, I found out, that's your case, was held by a young lady who went to high school with Suzanne's nephew. 
right. they were good friends. And I thought, wow, we have all kinds of connections. I mentioned this particular night because there was a lady, I think she was from South Carolina, if I recall. And they gave her the big valley who welcome. Here's your family. Oh, it's so great. Oh, I'm ready to go for the million dollars. This is so wonderful. They're so excited. Here we go. First choice. She picks case number, whatever it was. They open it. One million dollars right off, right from the get go. Done. That's it. Forget it. You could hear the gasp like the air was being taken out of the studio. <laughs> so there's skill. Yes. And there is some skill also guts to do something like that. But I just figure a lot of it is the kind of common intuition, like I'm going to go with my little league number or no, I feel really good about, you know, 12. I've always had good luck with 12 and people will do this and just hope for the best. And then you have a host who has to cover when the big objective is gone, like, you know, three and a half minutes into the episode. And where do you go from here? Well, what you have noticed is I think the latest fad among game shows. It got started with who wants to be a millionaire. And it is what I call the anticipation shows, the suspenseful anticipation. The show is so closely controlled with lighting to make everything dim and then bright. The music is always some sort of, it sounds like somebody's heartbeat to make you nervous on purpose. But the idea is the show is not played very quickly. Deal or no deal is like watching cement drying. (laughs) (laughs) Because nothing happens for minutes at a time. It's, yeah. it's, it's Howie talking and being charming and, you know, is it gonna be this one? Let's talk very slowly and let's look at some actor who's in the dark playing a character that's supposedly controlling what's going on, but it's total nonsense. That's how they pad these things out to an hour and keep the suspense going and keep the suspense going. It's, it's, I, I have trouble watching these kinds of games. I, I, I love game shows. I really do. I'm here because I love them. I wanted to love these suspense shows. They're just, they're theater. They're not real game shows. The production is so tightly controlled. There is nothing that's going to, you're not going to see a person do something wonderful because it's not about anyone doing anything wonderful. It's about luck and chance and suspense and i can watch that for about 10 minutes and i go yeah ho hum let me put on a rerun up to tell the truth and have a good time we are visiting with jeffrey mark we're going to be talking on the other side of a break about game shows and particularly i want to get into the subject of a 1994 film a wonderful movie as far as i'm concerned called quiz show about the most notorious scandal involving game shows. In fact, the implications were so serious that a case involving the future of game shows in America was argued and decided before the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah, for real. How did that happen? With apologies to Howie Mandel, we'll give you that story when we come back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine, 
with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Jeffrey Mark, the walking encyclopedia of all things Hollywood. The question, what is what is the American passion for game shows? On Saturday, Mary Marshall, professional medium, also known as the Paranormal MD, makes her debut as we talk about her otherworldly research and discoveries. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Find our app in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and take us with you wherever you go. Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and the Match Game and Jeffrey Mark, and we are talking us some game shows today. Jeffrey, if people would like to connect with you, you are on social media, am I right? I spend more of my time on social media now than I do almost anything else. And Um, where can people find you? Jeffrey Mark, G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y-M-A-R-K on Facebook. I am on Instagram, Jeffrey Mark Showbiz. I'm on Twitter, at Jeffrey Mark. Um, If you turn on your electric toothbrush, I'm singing pretty much anywhere you can find voices, you'll find me. And of course, my show, Jeffrey Mark Plays Ella, is on podcast platforms everywhere and on radio stations now all around the country. Excellent. Thank you. Let's go ahead and... uh get to what Suzanne and I like to call the meat of the potato here. There was a show called 21, 1950s quiz show. Tell us, Jeffrey, about what happened with that show and particularly the date with destiny, if you will, that was shared by two men, the esteemed academician, Charles Van Doren of Columbia University. He was a very respected professor there. And someone who, prior to achieving fame by being so successful on this game show, there was someone, Jeffrey, if I were going to write a novel, a play, a screenplay about that very kind of event, the contestant who felt wrong would have to be a guy named Herb Stemple. Isn't that perfect? 
You know, you have Charles Van Dorn, and then here's this guy, Herb Stemple, who had a nice little run going for himself. And then what happened? Well, you just told the problem. These shows, these big, big, so we're talking, folks, 1955, 56, 57, 58. These are the years these things were happening. The $64,000 question became a huge hit. So therefore, there became the $64,000 answer and the $64,000 this and Dotto and 21. These shows, because they were so popular and made so much money for the sponsors. And we have to remind people that back then, a show had a sponsor. Blankety Blank Show is brought to you by name of sponsor. They controlled the show. They actually purchased from the network that half hour of time and put their show on the air that they owned. Well, they like to make money and they realized that if the people who were winning were either extraordinarily good looking or had amazing chemistry in front of the camera, or they were hard luck story people that the show was going to keep them from starving or reunite them with their Eastern European relatives who were behind the Iron Curtain, that made for great television. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's television. There is nothing real on television. They are all shows. Okay? There's nothing really intrinsically wrong. Except that they led people to believe that, that this was all live and that nobody had the answers to the questions and that nobody knew anything ahead of time. And Herb Stemple... Uh, if you'll excuse a little Brooklynese, was a schlemiel. Not very good looking, not very camera ready, not very charming, but smart, well-read. And this was this man's only chance at breaking out of a five-day-a-week, year-after-year existence. This was his chance to shine. Well, they brought Charles Van Dorn on the show handsome enough to be a movie actor, wealthy, well-known family. And the ladies at home liked him. And they sent in letters saying, we like him. So they wanted to get rid of Stemple. Now, mind you, although Stemple was not given answers, lots of people on these shows were. They tried to get rid of people they didn't like. An example is Dr. Joyce Brothers appeared on one of these shows and the way she got on, remember she's a lady psychologist, psychiatrist, uh, became an expert in boxing. How? She found out what book they would use for all the answers for boxing questions, memorized the book, got on the air. So no matter what they asked her, she had an answer. Well, although through the years, she evolved as what kind of a pretty sexy lady. When she was first on television, she was dowdy and not very pretty and had dark hair. And they wanted to get rid of her. And they couldn't because no matter what question they threw at her, she had the answer. But normally, they would do that. They would, they would come up with, you know, uh, how many grains of sand are on the beach in Zuma Beach in California? 
something nobody could answer to get rid of people. Well, Charles found out that another person on another show had been given answers and had the book to prove it, the book of answers. And he did his best to start a scandal and it worked. And the country who should have known better and why do we care whether these shows are fixed or not? They're entertainment. It's like all the reality shows we have today. They're all scripted. How do I know? I've written some of them. There's nothing real about them. It's entertainment. Well, so were these shows. But our country in the late 50s after World War II in Korea was very conservative and shocked that show business would do what show business does, put on entertainments that are controlled. And it, it, it literally became this, this, this uh, front page newspaper scandal and all of those big money uh, game shows were canceled. And uh, Charles Van Doren left the public eye in ridicule and ruin. And as you said, uh, enough so that there has been a book and a movie and a play told telling this and they keep telling this story over and over because it's such a compelling story and that even the people who produced these shows couldn't work in television for years anybody had anything to do with these shows even the hosts um if you hosted one of these shows you didn't host a game show for a while you, you did commercials you did voiceover work until the public forgot and people who had nothing to do with the fixing, people who didn't even know the show was fixed, their careers, maybe not ruined, but were tattered for a while. It was a big deal. And ultimately, they did go to the Supreme Court because there was some question about this being another form of lottery rather than entertainment. And there was a decision about that. Must yeah. have been favorable to the industry because we have so many game shows. But I mean, there, there had to be an understanding about what a quiz or game show was or wasn't. Yes. But that comes in the sensationalism part of it. When, when you tell the audience, this is how the game works, and you're lying, that's where people get caught. You know, if we didn't say this is how the game works, if we just played the game and let it roll, any, any sort of control behind the scenes, no one knows, but you've never said this show isn't controlled and then control it. They were, they, were, they, were little, they were a little too stupid in how they tried to pawn this off as reality. And uh, the, the lottery thing, because lotteries used to be illegal in this country, there were no state lotteries. There were the only lottery you could do was the Irish sweepstakes back then. And that meant you had a, from Ireland. Uh, that, that's what brought it to the Supreme Court, that, that people thought this was a form of gambling. And then they said, not really, because it's controlled. It, it, it isn't just a lottery kind of luck. So um, this got very, very muddy. I mean, we could spend three hours talking about this. Uh, and that's why the Goods and Todman shows survived so well because there was no big money involved on their shows. Nobody was fixing anything. And if there was 
any kind of control, the hosts told you what it was. They were honest about it. Therefore, there was nobody up in the air uprising. Oh my gosh, look what you've done to me. I believed you. But today, I don't think anyone believes anything on television. So we, we, we've either matured or we've become terribly cynical. As a result of the scandal, Jeffrey, can you say that things are more honest now? You were, you were describing the shows as telling you up front how it's played. So you kind of get a sense about, you know, whether or not it, it's, um, it, it's being played according to the way they're saying it's either up and up or it's, it's just entertainment. But do you have, do you feel that these game shows are more honest as a result of that? Well, first of all, there aren't that many game shows on anymore. Uh, ABC does a bunch of them in the summer to fill time. Syndicatedly, we have uh, Family Feud and uh, Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune and a couple of others that come and go through the years that they get reiterated over and over again. But they're not the big money ones. The, the, the panel shows like the match game that keep or Family Feud, there's no way to fix that. Um, because you're asking for people's opinions, right? And right. opinions come and go. And we 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 talked to a recent studio audience, and they said, "Well, you can't fix that because it's already up there." And mm -hmm. what a contestant they either say one thing or they say another. We haven't seen the kind of shows that require us to question whether they're on the up and up or not. Um, but I don't know that we're any more honest. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be lying if I said, you know, every game show is a hundred percent honest today or everything presented on television. Hey, these days we're wondering if the news is even honest. So, yeah. <laughs> I can recall I'm kind of glad that this happened when I was, I had the time to watch some of these episodes and just see what this was about this huge phenomenon not that many years ago and the rumor has it and maybe it started with him people were saying that Regis Philbin saved ABC with who wants to be a millionaire how did that play on your sensibilities Jeffrey we hear that kind of thing over and over through the years ABC took a crapshoot they put up a new big money game show. There hadn't been one for a while. And there hadn't been a network primetime evening game show for years and years and years before this. Game shows were a big part of nighttime television broadcasting in the 50s and 60s into the early 70s, where there were nighttime versions of the Hollywood Squares and Dating Game and Newlywed Game. But pretty much by the mid-70s, game shows had become strictly daytime television and then syndicated to be shown in the early evening or on weekends or late at night, wherever the station wanted to put it. So it had been a long time since a network like ABC had done this. It didn't save ABC. It just kept them alive. They were fighting off the inroads of uh, cable TV because now there were entire cable networks devoted to game shows. So there was even less reason to have a new one on in prime time. And the platforms had just started appearing on the internet for people with the beginnings of smart TV. 
they put the show on. It was an, an enormous success, way beyond anything they could have imagined or hoped for. So they began renting it like every night almost because they, they, they got the money because ratings mean that the network can charge more money for their commercials on that show than on others that are less highly rated. That's what the ratings mean to networks. They don't care that we're watching. They care that they can make more money from the companies who are paying for the commercials. And it, it was a boom to ABC and uh, it didn't save them. ABC would never have folded otherwise. But doesn't that make for a great story? This saved us. Everything is about hyperbole now. That, that I guess, has never really changed, except hyperbole in broadcasting used to be restricted to certain kinds of things. Now it's every part of broadcasting is over the top, more than they mean, more, more than it actually is. And like other game shows, it, they ran it into the ground. Deal or No Deal was the same thing. Oh, a big hit. Let's have this on every 15 minutes. They did, and they made lots of money, and then nobody wanted to watch it anymore. Suzanne, I want to bring in one of your favorites. Let me introduce it this way. Jeffrey, as the show is closing, I will give you $100 for every $2 bill you're carrying in your wallet. <laughs> <laughs> let's make a deal Monty Hall he was such a delightful man I got to yes. know Monty late in his oh. life and uh, you know th this guy came here from, from um, Canada his mm -hmm. first bless his heart his first network show is bingo at home now I've, I've talked about watching cement drying but can you imagine how dull oh 15 <laughs> and you have to wait a minute for everybody at home to fill in their cards that's how he got his start but monty was a brilliant businessman and he was exactly who you saw him on television being smart charming warm considerate of other people and Let's Make a Deal was a lot of fun to watch. And Wayne Brady does a wonderful job now, but he's not Monty Hall. But Monty's biggest legacy has to be the, the incredible amount of charity work. Monty raised hundreds of millions of dollars to help people in this world. Oh, wow. And yeah. that's what I remember him for. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I remember Let's Make a Deal for, unfortunately, is that Jace, that wonderful man, Jay Stewart, who was his announcer, was always bringing things out on a tray for him, was one of those people who was battling bad depression all the time he was working, and he eventually took his own life. Oh, and sorry. that was something that just, just broke Monty's heart. Mm. But the show was wonderful, and it, it developed right in front of our eyes. The show was not designed for people to come in wearing crazy costumes. It just happened because the show was successful and people wanted to be on it. So they began to wear, like I wear my sparkly hats. They began to wear flashy things. And when people saw that the flashy things got on the air, it developed naturally into those crazy costumes people wore. You can't make that up. That's something the audience found for itself, which is the best thing television can do. Hmm. I used to 
watch that all the time. It seems to me it was, I don't know if it was ever on at nighttime with Monty Hall, was it? there? Because in the afternoon, you could just watch that and the neighbors would all be talking about it. Everybody got excited. It was on NBC originally in the afternoons and uh, NBC wouldn't give him a nighttime version of the show. So Monty moved the show to ABC and on ABC, he had a nighttime version and a daytime version. That's what it was. And it needs to be said, we have a lexicon, like any society, of phrases that people recognize instantly. And to this very day, if you have two relatively unsavory options and you don't know which one to take, you might ask, well, what's behind door number three? Right. Or if you lose out on something, oh, I got zonked. You got zonked. Yes, the, the person, they choose door number three because they think there might be a brand new Oldsmobile behind it. And instead, there are a bunch of barnyard chickens or something. And how many, times do we hear, how many times do we hear comedians saying, oh, you lose. But here's some Lee Presson nails or here's some rice That comes from Let's Make a Deal. Yes, some lovely parting gifts. Absolutely. That gives us a few minutes here, Jeffrey. I did want to, you know, pay homage to some people. I'm sure that you knew, many of them anyway, there were people you came to expect as panelists on these game shows. You mentioned Orson Bean, wonderful man, wonderful raconteur. He's a man to whom I wrote a fan letter, and he expresses gratitude by writing me a, a handwriting, a full-page letter, and he expressed his appreciation for other people like Lily Tomlin, to whom he had written a fan letter. I got that from Orson Bean, and uh, I was sorry to note his passing under tragic circumstances. He was hit twice there by cars there when he was crossing the street to go to a theater. But you know what? If you have to get hit by a car, get hit at 95. That's better. That's right. And then you are done. You are off stage. You know, I don't know that that would be enough to kill Milton Berle because you couldn't get him off stage. (laughs) That's another story. (laughs) He was a friend of mine. Be nice. <laughs> You've got the goods and the stories that Milton Berle. But in terms of the, the people who would be panelists on these shows, I think of somebody that it was just always a pleasure to see. Charles Nelson Riley, for example. You had them. You'd watch the show and you would catch these people doing their thing and they just kept it lively. Charles, it's an interesting story there. Charles was another Broadway person. Charles was in the original company of How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. They went right from that into Hello, Dolly. He was in the original company with Carol Channing. He's the guy who introduced the song, It Only Takes a Moment. That was Charles. And he got lured out to California to do The Ghost of Mrs. Muir. But Charles had also been, now follow this, when Dick Van Dyke left Bye Bye Birdie, the original Broadway company, Gene Rayburn took it over. Gene Rayburn's standby understudy was Charles Nelson Riley. So Gene and Charles had known each other all those years before Match Game got started. That's why he was on the show. And the money from Match Game gave Charles the ability to do something he'd always wanted to do, which is he became a director. And Charles directed Broadway shows, touring companies, and operas, and did them very, very successfully. And it gave him the financial freedom to not have to worry. So he could take lower paying jobs that satisfied him. He was a very, I got to know Charles a little bit. Very, very, very nice man. Who had a a haunted childhood. 
and uh, not for nothing, one of the people who kind of got America ready that there are gay people out there because yeah. his acceptance was so widespread yep. and everybody knew. Nobody, yeah. nobody wondered about Charles. Yeah. And uh, America loved him and didn't care. Yeah. Oh, you are so right, Jeffrey. You are so right. What, what do you think about trying to extend these shows when you change the host? You mentioned Wayne Brady, and I was thinking about Drew Carey. Price is Right still seems to be going on with Drew Carey, so they, they managed to change that host. Does that work for a time? It depends on the show, and it depends on the host. Um, Family Feud has had all kinds of hosts through the years. It seems to be unbreakable. It seems that almost any charming, witty person can hold, host Family Feud. There was a big deal. You know, when they brought uh, The Price is Right back after its original run with Bill Cullen, they wanted Bill Cullen again. He was so identified with the show. But the problem was Bill had polio and all the walking around one would have to do on The New Price is Right he physically couldn't do it. And they were going to hire Dennis James to be the host. And he actually filmed from promotions for the show to get sponsors. And then finally they settled on Bob Barker. Well, yes. Turned out that was a brilliant, brilliant yes. thing to do. Yep. Um, I'm a fan of the show. I don't like to disparage anyone. I don't like Drew Carey as the host of the show. Mm. It doesn't seem like he really cares but he knows the games all that well. To, he, to me, it feels like he's there to get a paycheck rather hmm. than to have lots of fun doing his job. And there were other people who tried out for that job, I think would have done better. But who am I to second guess a network right. of producers and, and you know, the sponsors of shows? Um, when, when they revived To Tell the Truth in syndication, Bud Conyer was dying of cancer. They brought in Gary Moore. Mm. When Gary Moore didn't want to do I've Got a Secret anymore, they brought in Steve Allen. And every time you do that, the show changes. When yeah. Alan Ludden got sick with cancer, they brought in my friend Tom Kennedy to host the show. Mm. Uh, and it worked for a while. Then, you know, different people hosted it. Bert Connery did Super Password. It, it's mm. every once in a while you get a bad host. You get someone who just does not fit and either the show dies or they replace a, a good, I know our time is limited, but is. when Hugh Downs was leaving concentration, mm -hmm. they wanted Bob Clayton, his announcer, who knew the show inside and out. NBC insisted that Ed McMahon do it. Ed McMahon had a lot of talent, but he wasn't the host mm -hmm. for concentration. And after a brief run, mm -hmm. Ed was out and Bob Clayton was in. And so it goes in the world of American game shows. We'll work this into a future conversation, Jeffrey Mark. It's always a pleasure to have you join us. Have yourself a great weekend, and we look forward to having you with us once again. Yeah, I'm going to an Oscar party tomorrow, so I'm going to have a good time. Outstanding. Good. Stay tuned for Trip Talk, American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mance at 1 o'clock Pacific. Have a great weekend, everyone. <laughs>